family-owned shop in Loganville, Sosby's Garage for all your automotive repair needs. We service all makes and models, foreign and domestic. We repair engines, alternators, brakes, alignments, AC systems, and more. Using certified technicians with over 90 years of combined experience. We also offer same-day service for some repairs. Sosby's Garage, 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville. Dependable, honest, and fair. Look us up on Google or Facebook. We'll take good care of you. Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. We are the cornerstone of security in the Southeast. Hey, welcome everybody to Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. I'm your host, Rick Strong, president of Paradigm Security Services, and we're excited to be with you today on Business Radio X. We're coming to you from the Subaru of Gwinnett studio located in the beautiful Sinesta Gwinnett Place Hotel in Duluth, Georgia. Each week we plan to feature businesses in the Atlanta area, especially those that serve Gwinnett County. While all businesses have security concerns, not all are about physical security, and we will touch on that in all related aspects as we move through the course of each show. Before I get started and introduce my guests, I want to do a little public service announcement. Gateway 85 Community Improvement District. They are having an online candidate forum via Zoom. Now, Gwinnett's nearing the 1 million residents, and with election looming later this year, it's imperative that you get out to know the candidates that are running for county commission chairman. Given the new statewide shelter-in-place restrictions, Gateway 85 CID is providing free access to an online candidate forum via Zoom. Now, the forum will be held on Wednesday, April the 22nd. It'll be from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. And for details on the webinar, you can please register at www.gatewaygateway85.com slash events. Again, that's Wednesday, April the 22nd, 6 to 7.30 p.m., the online candidate forum, looking at all the people that are running for county commission chairman in Gwinnett County, www.gateway85.com slash events. I hope you all go to that and see a little bit about everybody that's running. Well, I want to say thank you very much and introduce my guest, Mr. Bradley Carroll. Bradley is the CPA advisor. He's a CPA and a He's a risk advisory principal, actually, for Frazier and Dieter, the CPAs and advisors, which they also have a podcast, just to let everybody know, do a little plug for them on North Fulton Radio X, and I'll let him describe that a little bit to you in just a minute, tell you when and all that. But let me ask you, Bradley, who is Bradley Carroll? Where you come from? What in the world got you into doing this kind of stuff? First, let me say thanks for having me, Rick, uh, and I uh, hope that everybody listening is uh, sheltering in place and, and heeding some warnings and being cautious out there. This is, uh, you know, coming from a risk advisor, uh, looking at the risks that are out there and, and uh, advising you to, to, to take some precautions. Um, so, you know, Bradley Carroll, Rick, I grew up in West Monroe, Louisiana, and most people who have heard of West Monroe is because of the Duck Dynasty clan. Uh, they, they had their own show and... Uh, highlighted West Monroe quite frequently. So that that's where I'm from. And yes, I did go to high school with those guys. Uh, so, so that, that, that's where I'm from. I graduated from the university of Louisiana Monroe there with a degree in accounting and started as a internal auditor with a small bank, uh, central bank was about a billion dollars in assets. Uh, from there, I moved to Atlanta 
and went to work for Carter's Children's Wear. And so I was an internal auditor in manufacturing for a few years and then went back into banking with Wachovia Bank. Uh, was a little bit on the opposite end of the spectrum from Central Bank where I had started. Wachovia, I think, was a $72 billion bank, so much larger. I had, at that time, I had passed a CPA exam and uh, decided I needed to give up banker hours for CPA hours. And uh, it took me 14 years to realize that was a mistake. Uh, so I did spend 14 years in public accounting. Uh, I had owned my own, own firm, took on two partners, and sold, uh, sold the business to those two partners when an opportunity came up at State Bank in, in Atlanta. State Bank was a $5 billion bank that was two years old, and had, uh, at the time it was about three, three and a half billion when I joined. So I was brought in to start the internal audit department, and that was uh, the, the, the dream job for my career at, at that time was to, to, to build that department, uh, set the methodology, hire staff, and did that for uh, going on seven years until the bank was, was purchased. Uh, as the chief audit executive there, I had some co-sourcing opportunities uh, to bring in some subject matter experts and, and just uh, backfill some, some staffing uh, for, for our audit plan. And I largely used Frazier and Dieter. So I, so I knew their risk advisory team very well. And when the bank was acquired, uh, Frazier Dieter asked if I'd like to join them. And, and so I, I looked at the opportunities that were presented to me and I said to myself, who do I want to work with? Uh, where, where can I see myself retiring at this point in my career? And the answers kept coming back to Frazier and Dieter. I like the people, the, the, the company is very people centric. Uh, I was a client and, and liked them from the client standpoint. So for the past uh, year and a quarter now, I have been a principal in the risk advisory services, which we call process risk and governance, or for short PRG. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm still providing internal audit work, uh, along with some financial forensic and fraud examination work, uh, some process uh, work, walking through and, and documenting some processes and help people understand where their control points should be and, and, and where their uh, biggest risks and, and their, their processes are. So I'm really enjoying the work. Um, my primary focus is still on financial institutions and providing internal audit services to, to banks around the country. So um, an, analyzing stuff is really right in your wheelhouse. That, that seems to be, yes. Um, and, and speaking of analyzing, we're, we're really pushing a, a data analytics approach to our methodologies. We had done that at State Bank and we're, we're doing it uh, at Frazier and Dieter as well. And I'm currently, even at this point in my career, I'm currently working on my master's of business administration in data analytics. Wow. Well, let me ask you this. What uh, services does Frazier and Dieter offer to clients? Well, when, when you think of a CPA firm, people think, uh, most people think of taxes. And absolutely, Frazier and Dieter provides tax services, and we provide financial statement audit services. So those are the two uh, bread and butters for most CPA firms. But the, the area I work in is, is uh like I said, process risk and governance. It's led by our, our head of department, Sabrina Serafin, and we do all things, uh, risk advisory. So if a question comes in and it doesn't fit into audit or tax, a lot of times it goes to Sabrina and can, can PRG do this? So a lot of what we do are our SOC reporting, which is SOC, um, Service and Organization Controls. So that is if a company is providing services to another company, and the second company wants to understand the internal control framework of, of the provider company, the provider company can provide them with a SOC report, an SOC report that, that lists the test and results of their internal control fee uh, functions. <clears throat> so that, that's one thing we do a lot of. 
we, we do a lot of internal audits. So whether that is a full scope internal audits, starting with outsourcing and, and developing an audit plan for the company, or if it's coming in and uh, a, a bank wants me to come in and do a bank secrecy act audit for them, very specific scope. Uh, we do a lot of SOX, S-O-X reporting. Uh, we have several large clients that, and that is um, really is internal controls and financial reporting, which all public companies have to do. Uh, we call it SOX, short for the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which implemented that requirement. And then, like I said, we do some fraud investigations. We do a lot of uh, process enhancements and, and evaluations. So it's a lot of risk advisory and general business consulting um, that, that, that keep us really engaged and busy. Well, we're going to talk a minute about um, the payroll protection pl- program that this, that's coming on and it's come online. We're doing, but you know, you mentioned something about internal audits. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that distinguishes your internal audit program from everybody else? Cause there's a lot of people out there doing internal audits. Yeah. Well, especially in, in, in the banking area, I would say that um, Frazier Dieter is uniquely positioned uh, in the fact that they've got a former chief audit executive leading the financial services internal audit practice. Uh, you're not going to see that. You're, you're going to see a lot of people who have worked in financial services uh, on the financial audit side. So they, they know banking, but they don't know internal audit. We, we use a standards-based audit approach, which the Institute of Internal Auditors has the International Standards for the Professional Practice of Internal Auditing. I speak on the, these standards at national and international conferences on behalf of the IIA. So to have someone who knows not only banking, but who is a recognized expert in standards-based internal auditing, and who's a former chief audit executive at a financial institution, uh, leading a team of experienced financial institution auditors. So it's, it's not people who worked in the industry before, it's people who've worked in the industry in internal audit. I'd say that's a pretty good difference. Uh, you, you know, you get actually somebody that is a higher level than just the normal people that do audits. That are Many times. The structuring yeah. of it all the way through. Absolutely. Um, well, listen, we mentioned something about the payroll protection plan. Tell people what the EIDL is and how the payroll protection program is different. Okay, so the EIDL is the uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. That's the first program that came out, and that is where you apply directly for funding from the U.S. Treasury. So there's there, there, there's two people involved. There's a borrower and there's the U.S. Treasury. So that that is a specifically funded program, and the key feature that most people know about that program is that once you apply, you can then apply for emergency relief in the tune of a $10,000 uh, payment. Now, the, they, they've said that payment will be dispersed within three days. And um, as clients are finding out that that means three days from when, when the treasury opens the file, not three days from when you apply. It's three so, days from the day you get it. That was three days ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, so people who've applied last week still have not gotten their $10,000. So what's interesting about that is that that $10,000 is, is to be there to immediately stimulate until while they're looking at approving your loan. So there's grace on that $10,000 though, that even if you do not get an EIDL, you still get to keep the $10,000. It really becomes a grant. So that the EIDL is between the borrower and the treasury, the payroll, the paycheck protection program is through an SBA lender. So it is a, 
traditional format for an SBA loan. You go to an SBA lender, which most financial institutions are going to have SBA lenders. There are some uh, what I'll call non-bank SBA lenders. So you've got uh, uh, a variety of different SBA lenders. And the SBA lender will take your application. The SBA lender will uh, approve the loan because the, the SBA lender is funding the loan. It's not being funded by Treasury. Now, while it's 100% guaranteed by the Treasury, the bank still has to fund the loan after they approve the loan, and then they submit it to Treasury and get a uh, confirmation number that you are part of the $349 billion pool that is eligible for forgiveness. And let me tell you about forgiveness. So while the EIDL has a, a wider range of expenditures that, that the proceeds of the loan can be used on, the PPP is, is very narrowly focused on how you can use those proceeds. And you have to use them over an eight-week period after you get the loan. If you use them in accordance with the, the provisions specified in the program, you can have that loan forgiven. And I want to say that again. You can turn around and give a separate application to your bank for loan forgiveness. And that's where the SBA comes in. And that's when they fund it. They will pay the bank back to pay off your loan. Now you said something about eight weeks. Yes. So the, the, the PPP is designed to cover expenses for payroll and certain other things for an eight week period after you get the loan. And that was also with the keeping your, is that the part where the employees, the number of employees still has to remain the same? That is correct. So, so there is a, a several tests that we have to go through as, as we're looking at, at how you spent that money, which includes making sure you haven't cut employees or if you have cut employees, you've rehired them. And it also deals with uh, salary reductions so that you can't have uh, significant salary reductions and, and get the full amount of forgiveness. Now, what happens if you don't get the full amount forgiven? The downside is that you have a 1% loan for two years and you get a six month deferral of having to pay uh, any, any part of it. So if, if you don't get your loan forgiven, you still have a very low interest rate loan for the next two years. That, that's pretty good. What was the six month? The six month is, is a, once you get the loan, mm-hmm. you, 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 the payments are deferred for six months. Oh, okay. And if you, paid it off, uh, prepaid it within that six months, would you still pay 1% on that six months? No, there, there is no prepayment penalty. So if you, if you, if you pay it off, then, then you pay the accrued interest to that date. That would be great. So that really there wouldn't have been any interest in that first six months. Well, well, you, you still accrue interest. You don't have to pay it. So you, you, but the interest is also forgiven if for the forgiven portion, if you have a portion that is not forgiven, just that piece of it, you would pay the, when you pay it off, you would pay the 1% on that piece. 1% is still not bad money. Not at all. Uh, I know my wife, Susan, uh, she's co-owner of the uh, Paradigm and also formerly a CPA. She's CFO with us. And I know she's gone through and doing the paperwork with us just to, to, to make sure that we're covered on, you know, we're a small business like a lot of other people. Uh, and we're a people business. So we have, you know, ours are employees mm-hmm. and with our businesses, we have things like hotels and so forth that are really, really hurting. And of course they can't really afford to pay security So we have been so fortunate as to be able to shift people around. So we haven't had to lay off anybody. We haven't had to fire anybody. We haven't had to really, you know, if they want hours, they got hours cause we got stuff coming on. But I know for a lot of companies, that's just not possible. That's uh, correct. 
a lot of these restaurants and stuff like that. And, and they're just, they're really, really, really hurt. Yeah, Rick, you're, you're in a very fortunate position. If you take a step back and look at what the legislation was just originally designed for, to get out of the details of it, it was designed to keep people employed. Exactly. So that, that's why you look at the, the eight-week period is, is that the government is giving these loans, which could be grants, to keep people employed, fully employed, for the next eight weeks. And hopefully by then we're past this pan, pandemic and we can start returning to um, life as we know it. And, you know, as far as looking at the four to eight weeks, you know, they're looking, they're talking about another package, uh, the possibility. So, you know, the likelihood that that's going to extend if we do, which I hope, I hope it's not there because our economy needs to get back to work. I mean, that's the bottom line of it. We need to get back to work. We can't do this forever. So that being said, you know, if that is there and they can do something else, you know, I'm sure that it will extend to those people past that four to eight weeks. Yeah, it, they're, they're talking, the Treasury is asking Congress for another $250 billion package for the PPP. So, uh, because this program is supposed to go, it started April 3rd and it's supposed to go to June 30th. Well, as of, um, I, want to say, I think it was yesterday, the Small Business Administration said that there had been uh, 265 thousand applications that banks had submitted and reserved part of the funding for to a tune of $71 billion. So that, that started on Friday. So you had Friday applications, Monday applications and Tuesday applications. So that $71 billion is locked out of 349. So that is already one fifth in the first three days of applications being accepted. One fifth of the funds are gone. That's amazing. So this isn't going to last till June 30th is, what, is, is my point I'm, I'm making. So if they put in another $250 billion, it'll extend it, but I don't know that it would extend it out still to June 30th when the program officially closes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of businesses out here that are, that are really hurting. I, my biggest thing is I hope that everything is kept under enough analysis, you know, looking at it and analyzing it to where only the people that really need it are the ones that get it, the ones that don't need it, don't use it. I mean, and that's going to well, be a lot of integrity issues. Yeah, well, well, Rick, if you look at the, it's really a one-page application is what it boils down to. It's a streamlined, it's a one-page application, but the second page is a list of certifications. And you need to read those certifications closely because the, the second certification on there does really hit home on that point is that do you, do you need this loan to support your business? It doesn't say you need it to save your business. So it doesn't mean that you would go out of business if you didn't get it, in my opinion, but you are certifying to that, that, that you need this money because of the economic downturn to, to support your business. Well, you know, and, and the business that need it, need to get it. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. you know, like I say, we could have been in 2007, 2008, we were in an entirely different position yeah. because at that point, our main work was major construction and major construction totally went away. I mean, sure. just nothing. So we had to completely revise business plans and, and go, and we could have used something like this back then. But again, we managed to survive that. We didn't really ever lay anybody off. We just started redoing and targeting something else. So God has blessed us on that. So we've been wonderful. Um, who is actually eligible? We kind of touched on it there, but who is actually eligible to apply for the PPP? 
Well, I'm, I'm going to use general terms because as with any government program, there's always devil in the details. Yep. So generally speaking, a, a small business is a, a business that has less than 500 employees. So there are underlying SBA rules that, that govern across all of these programs, including this one, that they, are, that they call their affiliation rules. So if you have common ownership or common control, then you're an affiliated company and you have to consider the employees there as well as the employees at the company you're applying for. Um, so you have to read and understand, and again, that's another certification you have to make as a, as a borrower is that I understand the affiliation rules and my application is in compliance with those rules. So generally speaking, a small business is one uh, under 500 employees. Um, now, if you're in what we call NACE code 72, which is uh, hospitality and restaurants, you can have more than 500 employees. So again, generally speaking, um, there's 500 employees unless you're in restaurant and hospitality, and then you can potentially have more than that 500. Well, that's kind of the situation that, um, for instance, this wonderful hotel we're in, that I'm in right now, the Sinesta, uh, they're one of the ones that are hurting. I mean, their business, they, yeah, it's just nobody. They definitely have rooms to let. Put it down. Well, well, with, with um, shelter-in-place orders, it's very hard to have a travel and, and hospitality business. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's something that I hope will be over with for them real quick. Um, how have banks responded to the rush of applicants? How have they really handled it and how they responded to it? Well, Rick, that, that's all over the spectrum. Um, some, some larger banks actually refused to take applications on Friday because there were so many questions still outstanding about how, how do you calculate the payroll? Because the average monthly payroll is the basis for determining your loan amount. Uh, but there, there were a lot of questions about how to, to calculate that. So um, many banks didn't start taking applications till Monday until they could get better clarification on that. Uh, some banks were building a, an interface so that they didn't have to take paper applications. They could, they could have borrowers input into their own system, which would generate the paper application that the SBA required. Uh, some banks are not participating. Some banks are saying, we'll make loans to our existing customers only. Uh, and then there's other banks who are saying, we're going to help out anybody and everybody we can. Please, please send us uh, referrals for, for people who are looking for an SBA lender. So they're, they're, they're all over the place, large and small banks. I do know uh, that some small banks are already hitting their capital limits. Like I said earlier, these banks are funding these loans out of their own capital. So some small banks are already hitting their capital limits, and while they would like to do more loans, they can't. money. That's right. They're, they're legally re required to stop at, at a certain limit. So there will be some relief where the SBA um, says that you can package and sell these loans to the government, which will free up some capital. But by that time, the original $349 billion may be gone. Yeah. So they still can't lend anymore. Well, I think then it was really important that one of the things that people need to know out there is it's not, you know, a mandatory thing for a bank to do these loans. Absolutely. They have to understand that. So don't get mad and angry if you go to your particular bank and that bank is not doing it, that they basically don't have the capital to be able to. It's just like with us. You don't have the people to staff your regular clients. So you have to turn down new clients sometimes. And it's just like with them, you can't, they've got to, they've got to take care of their yeah. existing customers. So Absolutely. don't add at them. Absolutely correct. Go to another bank. 
<laughs> and, and like I said, I have talked to uh, probably, uh, I don't know, more than a dozen different SBA lenders over the past 10 days uh, and, and, and know some who are not taking applications and some who are welcoming applications. Well, we keep relations with several banks yeah. uh, as a business. Uh, we may not even have an account there, but we have relationships with them. And so that, you know, if, if, if the bank that we normally use, which is Renaissance in our case, then we don't have, if they can't do something, which so far I haven't found anything they can't do, but we haven't asked them about this yet either. So, well, John, John Daly is over there and he is the director of SBA lending. He's a, a former state banker. Uh, we, we, we were there together and uh, John is one of the ones I have talked to this, this past week. Um, John, John's a great guy. I've been in SBA lending for a long time. John's a good guy. And you know that everybody, they're, they're one of our clients as well. And, and everybody over there has always been fantastic people to work with. And I love being a part of their team. But, you know, getting back to the other part, you know, it's, it's a matter of just understanding that people can, you know, go somewhere else, talk to them. You don't necessarily have to move all of your stuff to another bank. Just go to them and talk to them about what you need because they're, they're all going to reap the quote-unquote benefit in the end of getting stuff paid off or getting stuff, they'll get their money. So, yeah. Well, and, and Rick, one of the things I would say is that if you do have to go to a new bank to get this PPP, uh, many of them would ask that you open a deposit account with them. And I think that's a great idea and, and have the sure. proceeds from that loan go into that deposit account and don't write any of the checks out of there except for the approved expenditure. So when it comes time to ask for forgiveness of the loan and you need to show how you spent the money, you've got two bank statements and the canceled checks there to show this is how I spent the money. So it's a almost like a separate ledger. And it's and instead of commingling it with your operating account, you can very clearly show that these are the proceeds and this is how, how I spell. So you're not, you're not saying anything like do proper accounting, right? I'm, <laughs> so do the proper accounting. That Absolutely. Call Make it easy on yourself. Call y'all. You can let them know what they need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Oh, I tell you, that's funny. Uh, what role does Frazier Dieter play in the actual payroll protection program? What is your role in this? Well, Rick, a lot of it is what we've been doing right here, just education. Uh, we, I, I've spoken to over 150 clients over the past 10 days or partners uh, who have spoken to their clients um, after running things past me. Uh, so, so a lot of it is just education, um, helping to calm some fears and get past some anxiety. But on the back end, on the forgiveness portion, um, the CFO, CEO is going to have to sign a certification that says they use the funds appropriately. Well, before they put their name on that, uh, and, and the SBA and the OIG has said that they're going to be investigating fraud uh, in, in this. So before you put your signature on that saying, I certify this is how we use the funds. Frazier and Dieter has a, a team as a former bank auditors, as I said earlier, that uh, we're standing up a program and to come in and, and look at how you spent those funds. And we're going to give you an opinion letter that says, in our opinion, you're eligible for this much of forgiveness based on how you've spent these funds. And so that's the role we're looking to play is, is coming in and helping the businesses, um, Verify. Put the bank at ease. Absolutely. Put the bank at ease saying these funds were spent appropriately. And, and they've got uh, Frazier and Dieter's uh, name on the, on the letterhead and, and my signature on the letter. Stamp of approval. Absolutely. Uh, well, and you know, in any business, when you do that audit and so forth, getting that stamp of approval from the auditing company is very important if you ever get to have to have reviews and have to have questions yeah. that come up. 
uh, that's that's the quick way through it, the easy way through it, and the painless way through it. <laughs> got that stamp, I can tell you. Absolutely. Um, well, let me ask you this. Where are Frazier Dieter's offices located? Well, we've got an office in Midtown Atlanta and then in Alpharetta, as a, as a, which is where I, I sit when I'm in the office. We also have offices in uh, Tampa, Charlotte, Las Vegas, Nashville, uh, London, New York, Philadelphia, and Minneapolis. Uh, so we, are, we, we have clients throughout the nation. We have clients in South America and in Europe. We, we send teams over to do audits there. So uh, we're truly an, an international firm with an international client base. Fantastic. I guess uh, pretty much your shelter in place is all over with just about everywhere you are then. Just about, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, well, we can always you know, put a prayer in for all the people that are suffering. Absolutely. And all the people that are going to suffer before it's over with. Um, how would people get in touch with you or with Frazier Dieter if they want to get in touch with y'all and start asking questions and, and, and deciding whether this is something that they need to do or how you can help them? Yeah. So the, the best way, we've got some information on our website, FraserDeter.com. That's F-R-A-Z-I-E-R-D-E-E-T-E-R.com. There's a link to a COVID-19 um, webpage once you go to our, our main page. And it's, I'm, I'm putting updates out there uh, two or three times a week based on what I'm hearing. Uh, there is a article out there that has a link to my email. So if you click on my name, it will bring up my email. If you're at the Fraser Dieter webpage, you can click on people, look up Bradley Carroll, and it'll have my phone number and email there as well. Uh, email's easy, bradley.carroll, that's two R's and two L's, at FraserDieter.com, and my phone number is 404-253-7566. Well, fantastic. Well, I appreciate so much you coming on. Absolutely. It's been a good educational experience for me as well as I'm sure for anybody listening to it, and it's something that we all need to know because this has still got time to play out. I mean, we're no, we're not to the end of where we're we need going. To do on this. Nope. Well, again, I want to thank you very much. I want to say a little quick plug for my sponsor, Sosby's Garage, out at 200 Bay Creek Road in Loganville, Georgia. A six seven eight eight two five two one two seven. Give him a call. He is dependable, honest, and fair, and he even keeps a clean lobby and everything. They are, I will say, on a little bit of if they're taking a fourteen day isolation, so. There, this is the first weekend of their 14 days, so there'll be a week before they're back open. I've already needed them about three times and that we're on the phone with them. But anyway, go see John. Give him a call. So thank you for joining us on Case in Point, presented by Paradigm Security Services. Remember, you can join us live on Wednesdays at 1130 in the morning. Or you can listen to us on our radio show anytime you want by going to businessradiox.com clicking on the Gwinnett Studio, and, of course, click on Case in Point. This is one you want to make sure your friends listen to and anybody that's in business, have them give this one a shout and listen to that. Join us next week at 1130 when we will talk with business leaders about their businesses and related security issues in today's world. And thanks again to my guest, Bradley Carroll, with Frazier and Dieter, and I appreciate it very much. For uh, my producer, Mike, and Miss Amanda, I am Rick Strawn, and remember, at Paradigm Security Services, we cover more than just your assets.